Well, I am I have the privilege and honor this morning of introducing per, uh, Pastor Fernando Castillo. He is our district supervisor uh, over the four. Pacific Southwest District of Foursquare Churches, which covers, it's this small little area of Arizona, Southern California, Southern Nevada, Southern Utah, and Hawaii. Yeah, it's not so small. It's a large district. Uh, Fernando and I know each other from college. We've been friends for many years. Uh, him and his wife, Karen, and their, their family are with us today. Uh, he's a graduate of Life Pacific University now. Um, was a youth pastor just down the street here in Azusa, uh, and then moved to Hawaii and has pastored in Hawaii and served in Hawaii. Uh, and now is back in Southern California and is doing an amazing job of leading and caring for the churches and pastors uh, in our district, and so I invited him to come and speak this morning, and he graciously accepted. So would you welcome Pastor Fernando as he comes and shares with us this morning? Good morning, Thrive Church. Man, it's so cool to be here. I mean, we've been working in this for <laughs> forever, and almost two years to make it happen, and uh, I'm glad that I am here so uh, proud of your pastor. He brags a lot about you and about the church. And um, uh, we are so, so um, uh, proud of him. Uh, pastor Barry helps our district with uh, sending emails and communications and help us a lot. He's very talented in so many areas. And uh, the family, we just love the Mulocks. And would you just say thanks to the Mulock family here? Awesome. We're so proud of you, Barry, Megan, all the kids. They're amazing. And uh, we love you guys. So uh, how many of you are followers of Jesus here in the room? Followers of Jesus? Okay. Like half of the room, the other ones are like, I don't know, it's too early or too late. I don't know what that will be for you. But I, I guess we're here. Uh, here. Uh, Pastor Barry mentioned that, um, yeah, my family's here, Karen, the boys. I, I have a picture, you know, yeah, those pictures that look all like super nice. And um, there we go. So I have three boys. I have Daniel is the oldest, 17, soon to be 18. Uh, David is our second one. He is 16. And then we have the three-year-old, almost three. You see, like, there's a big gap, 15 years. Soon some of you say, what happened? Oh, come on, you know what happened. <laughs> so, yeah, it was a big gap there. It's a pretty fun gap. Uh, but uh, David is here, uh, my uh, second son. There's a cool picture I love about this. David is cool. Um, when uh, he was about three and a half years old, um, uh, we were told he was diagnosed to be in the spectrum of autism. And for us, it was a big shock. And the way that we found out was because his verbal skills were not there. And some social skills were not there, but mostly his verbal skills. He was in his own world, and that's how we kind of went through specialists, and that's how the diagnosis was made. And, and uh, the doctors at the beginning, this is about uh, 13, 14 years ago, uh, they don't know as much as they know now. But back then, one of the things that they told us, well, is it looks like he probably will never be able to communicate verbally. Uh, so at home we spoke two languages. I'm originally from Colombia. My wife is also from Colombia. So we spoke English and Spanish and the doctor said, better you stick to one English and um, just, uh, and, and it's gonna, we, there's ch very small chances that he will be able to ever communicate verbally. So our prayer was, Lord help David to speak. And we started uh, when he was three and a half and we prayed that prayer daily, every night before going to bed, daily, weekly, for months, for years. And it was until he turned about seven years old when suddenly his brain kind of figured out and he started to communicate verbally. He was speaking to all the praise and to all the glory of God. It was so exciting. God answered prayer. It was such a big miracle for our family. God, oh, you're so awesome. In fact, it was so awesome that our prayer had to change. And then our prayer was, oh God, please help David to shut up because he <laughs> is getting, he's driving us nuts. He's getting into so much trouble. And that's been... That's been our prayer for nine years, okay? 
So if you hear him talking, it's like, you're just praying, okay? So it's pretty fun. Um, it, it is fun to follow Jesus, don't you think? It's great. Um, it's probably the, uh, not probably, it's for sure the best decision that we can make. And, uh, but it's also very challenging. How many of you know that? It's challenging to follow Jesus, right? It's not, it's very complicated. And, and, and how many of you know that? That you discover, you know what? Following Jesus has its challenges, it's difficult. In fact, the, the, the story that I want to share with you in the scriptures, if you have your Bibles, uh, you can go to Mark chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible, we're going to read from the, from the screens here. I have the verses here. These stories, you, you probably have heard this story before. It shows us then sometimes following Jesus implies going through some difficulties. Some storms, right? And that's what we're going to be reading. But before we read this story, when Jesus goes through a storm, I, 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 wanna, I want us to have a little bit of the context of what's going on here before we read this story. So uh, Jesus was teaching a crowd on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. It's called the Sea of Galilee because probably a fisherman gave it that name. You know fishermen like to exaggerate, Okay. They say, where do you work? Uh, I work at the uh, Sea of Galilee. No, it's just a pond. It was just a, li- a lake right there. It's actually a lake. And they just want to exaggerate, right? So it's the, the Bible even calls it the Sea of Galilee. And Jesus is teaching from the shore. There was a boat docked right at the shore, probably not bigger than the stage. Maybe just imagine 25, 30 feet um, uh, long uh, boat. And he is on the boat, right, looking at the crowd, sitting at the shore, kind of like a platform, so he could project his voice, so he could communicate clearly. Probably 5,000 minimum people just listening to his teaching, and he's been teaching all day. Can you picture that in your mind? Okay, so picture that Jesus is preaching all day long until evening came. That's what verse 35 says, okay? So let's pick up the story here on verse 35. It's going to be here on the screen as well. Verse 35 says this, as evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's cross to the other side of the lake. Everybody say, to the other side. To the other side. So picture this. So the background of Jesus' teaching, right, is being all day is a lake and there's another side over there. And Jesus, at the end of the day, after teaching all day, it could be awesome. Could you imagine being with Jesus? I mean, you're going to be here probably for 35 more minutes and you're going to be by minute 30. Come on, dude, hurry up. I have lunch. I have plans. Picnic. I need to pick up the stuff. I need, come on, hurry up. But can you imagine Jesus all day teaching? Man, it, was, it had to be awesome. I mean, the best teacher of the Bible is, is, is teaching the kingdom of God. And he's there. And then he tells his followers, his disciples, because that's what the word disciple means. Somebody that follows Jesus tells him, let's go to the other side. Let's go to the other side. On this side here, you've been blessed. On this side, you have become comfortable. You have learned many things. But I want to take you from a new place. I want to take you to a new place from blessing to a greater blessing. The scripture talks about going from glory to glory to a greater glory when we follow God. And and that's why Jesus constantly is going to challenge us. Let's go to the other side. Let's not stay comfortable. That's why he tells his followers, follow me. Let's cross the lake to the other side. New adventures are waiting for us. New greater rewards are waiting on the other side. But what we need to understand too is that all the mostly Jewish people living on this side will never dare to go to the other side. They were told and over there the people were weird. They have swine on the other side. That's when we read the, the, the story after that in Mark chapter 5. When they go to the other side, that's when Jesus does a great miracle and, and, and heals a demon-possessed person. And all the legion of, of, of demons go into a herd of swine and they die. That side, they wouldn't go to that side. They were afraid of going to that side. For many reasons, they wouldn't they even dare to go over there. But Jesus is telling them, let's go to the other side. Now, I'm not sure what that could translate for you in your personal life right now. But God may be saying to some of you, hey, I want to improve your marriage. I want to I wanna bring greater joy in your career. I want to prosper you. I want to bless you. I want to give you not necessarily what you want, but what you truly need. 
So I want to bring you to the next level. So maybe the Lord is being saying, putting in your heart these thoughts and say, I want to take you to the other side. Here you've been fine. Here, but I want to give you something much better. Now, when you hear that kind of invitation, some of you, you're very dissatisfied with this side. and say, yes, God, this side sucks. I need something else. I would love to go somewhere else. Take me to the other side, right? Some of you may be saying, hey, you know what? This side is kind of good. I'm having a good time right now. Things are good. I'm doing fine. I don't need, it's kind of comfortable. I don't need to go to another side or to the other side, but Jesus, I trust you. And I promise to follow you. If you're telling me that it's time to go to somewhere else, if it is time to take me to a greater blessing, I want to go. And my hope is that you in your heart say, yes, Lord, wherever you lead me, I will go. I'm your disciple. I'm your follower. If you tell me to cross to a different area, to a different season in my life, to a greater blessing, I will follow you. How many of you will say, yeah, I want to follow Jesus wherever he leads me? Okay, you see, now a little bit less than half. So we're doing a great job convincing you. Okay, here we go. So this is what he says, verse 36. Watch this. So after they said, let's go, Jesus says, so they took Jesus in the boat and stirred it out, leaving the crowds behind. All the other boats followed that boat with the disciples. But watch this, 37. But soon a fierce storm came up. Everybody say, fierce storm. It was a scary one. High waves, imagine this, picture this. If you're like watching the movie right there. High waves were breaking into the boat and it began to fill with water. And you can guess people were panicking, right? I mean, how many of you have been in a boat where water is going in and you feel this thing is going to go down and we're going to die? Anybody? 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 No, no. Okay. Okay. One person here, you see. Why is it that it's only one? Because we don't live in a culture that is used to that, right? But let me tell you how many of you are going to relate to this. How many of you have been on a plane when turbulence hits and then you feel like you're going, oh, you see, you get that, right? You see, right? Suddenly, people that never, never talk about God or think about God, oh, God, Jesus. They start having conversions there. Promises to God, right? You know what I'm talking about? It's scary. Why? Because you feel like this plane is going down and we're going to die, right? You ever feel that? Okay, that's exactly what the disciples felt in that moment. Water was going in. That boat is going down and we are going to die. Now watch this. Verse 38 says this. Jesus, <laughs> this is hilarious. He was sleeping at the back of the boat with his head on a cushion, on a pillow. <laughs> Think about this. Everybody's freaking out. It's like when I, when I, when I you know, there's people, you know, when, when I'm in planes and things are going crazy and the turbulence, and there's the people next to you like <sighs> snoring, like nothing wrong is going on with life, right? Well, Jesus is taking a nap in the back of the boat. The disciples, watch this, woke him up shouting. Shouting, Teacher, don't you care that we're going to die? We're going to drown. Verse 39, then Jesus woke up. Watch this. He rebuked the wind and said to the waves, silence, be still. Suddenly the wind stopped and there was great calm. Isn't that an amazing miracle? We were singing a song earlier about this, right? Pretty cool. Now watch this. Verse 40. Verse 40, then Jesus asked them two very important questions. Watch this. After Jesus does this miracle, he turns to the disciples, asks very important questions. Two, number one, why are you afraid? Second question, do you still have no faith? Why would Jesus ask those two questions at that moment? Now, if you're picturing this as a movie, I'm pretty sure that many of you, depending on your background and depending how you think about God and Jesus, you can picture Jesus saying the tone of his voice in very different ways. Most people that I know will imagine Jesus going, 
why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Oh. That's why most people think. But if you get to follow Jesus for a while, you'll realize that that's not the tone that he's using here. It was a tone of compassion. Why? Because Jesus here, full God and full human being, identifies here two things. Fear and lack of faith as our normal human responses when we face a difficult situation. So probably Jesus sounded more like, why are you afraid? Do you, do you still have no faith? Very different, right? Watch this, verse 31. You will think that the disciple responded, oh, gee, oh. <laughs> Watch this, verse 31. The disciples were absolutely what? Terrified. Terrified. <laughs> Who is this man? <laughs> they asked each other. Even the wind and the waves obey him. Some of you know this, Pastor Barry and a group of you, I believe seven or eight of you are going to go to Israel in a few weeks. And we took this picture when Barry was there. Check it out. This is the Sea of Galilee. This is the lake. This is taken from a mountain. It's called Mount Arbel. This is what scholars believe that Jesus went here to uh, have devotions. Every time that you read in the gospel, then it says that Jesus went to a lonely place to be by himself, to seek the Father. That's what he's believed. So you can see in the background, man, it's a beautiful sight. You can see the entire lake from this mountain. It's the highest peak in the, around that area. And the next picture is taken now from the lake into that high mountain. You see that mountain on the left? That's the, where the picture, the picture prayer was taken from. It's pretty interesting. You see that the, the, the lake is pretty calm. There's a little boat that we go in the boat and we ride in the boat. But you see all the mountains there? You see, what is crazy is that the, the Sea of Galilee is about 680 feet below sea level. It's like a big hole on the earth, 680 feet below sea level. And all the mountains, all the experts in, in, in geography and topography and all that, they truly can testify to this. And the people that even today live in that area today, they can say, and they hear the story, it's like, oh, yeah, look at that, so calm, like a storm. Oh, that's like, it's, it's a lake. Have you ever heard of a storm in a lake? Well, because of the way that the mountains are built, out of the sudden, very often, you can get gusts of winds of 70, 70 to 80 miles per hour winds. And it can be very scary. All the winds coming through those ridges and mountains hit the lake. And it can be a storm-like situation out of nowhere. There is no way to predict this. There is no way to know that one is coming. It can be very scary. Isn't it that, that life sometimes is? Life can be so good, things can be so calm, and out of the sudden, boom. As Pastor Barry was leading us in prayer this morning for so many families, a big storm just hit him this weekend. It's pretty sad. But it doesn't have to be that kind of a huge tragedy. Sometimes it's an accident. You get the call. A loved one was involved in a car crash, or you get the news from the doctor's visit, then something pretty scary is affecting your body or the body of a loved one. A storm, out of the sudden, uninvited, unexpected, come and hits your life. It could be your marriage. You thought that your marriage was rock solid. And some things happen, happen, happen. And now, one more thing, and now you're in the middle of a storm. A relationship then is broken. A, a relationship that you thought then it was going to go forever and you have so much hopes about that relationship and now your heart is broken and you're in the middle of the storm. It can be so many things together and you're probably living on, in, in what is commonly known as depression and, and it's a very dark storm. It can be so many things. Some of you right now, you're in the middle of a storm. It can be so many different. It can be a legal storm then you just don't want Sunday to end because Monday morning you have to deal with that again. 
It could be a financial storm. Then even though the economy, people say, then it's so good right now, yours is not. It could be a health storm, a relational storm, or whatever. And if you are a human being, if you are a human being, the normal feeling that Jesus admitted is fear and lack of faith. So most people want to deal with their storms and fears in private. For whatever reasons, I think in one hand, they're probably ashamed of what's going on and embarrassed. On the other hand, I think there's sometimes people, I, I can identify with this one more. Sometimes we can be a little prideful and we don't want people's pity or sympathy. And we just want to leave me alone, right? I want to lick my wounds on my own. I don't need anybody's help. So it can be either shame or pride. But the main reasons of all those things together is fear. In fact, I will tell you this, in the culture in which we live today, we don't like to admit that we're afraid because it's a sign of weakness. We don't like to admit that we're afraid. And I'll be honest with you, church people, we are the worst at this, okay? We fade their way through a storm. How you doing, brother? Oh, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. God is good all the time. All the time, God is good. Praise the Lord. That's the mask. <laughs> Underneath that mask, if they could talk and be honest and transparent, they would say, my life is crumbling. They don't want to show what is really going on inside. Can I encourage you that there is nothing embarrassing or shameful about being afraid? When a life storm comes to your life. Can I encourage you? There's no, nothing to be shameful about. In fact, I will tell you this. There is so much freedom when we come before God in a community of faith and acknowledge our fears in the middle of a storm. It is okay. It is okay. And I believe the culture that Thrive Church has is a safe place for people to say, Life is not good right now, and I'm afraid. Let me ask, how many of you, you will say, it could be a big one, it could be a small one, but it could be then maybe someone near to you. Maybe it's not you personally, but somebody that you love, somebody you care about. But how many of you will say that you or somebody close to you is in the middle of a storm right now as we speak? Okay? A lot of you. Now, those of you that... Say, man, things are good, thank God, and I don't see any storms around me. The question is not if, the question is when. So for some of you, the next points in this message are going to be very helpful because you're in the middle of a storm. But for some of you, today you're going to be equipped, not only to prepare yourself for the future, but I believe for everybody else if you do this outreach well, you're going to have many people. Then the reason why they, they have a hard time with God is because they're in the middle of a storm. And you will be equipped to help them to deal with the storm of their lives. So this message is for everybody. Okay? You got that? You ready to receive this? So I want to bring two things. According to this passage, two things that we need to remember. That we need to remember when we are in the middle of a storm. Because very easy to forget certain important principles of the kingdom of God. The first one is this. It's so important. You are in the storm with His presence. God is with you and He is for you. You see that? That's the first thing that you need to remember because quite honestly is the first thing that we forget. In the middle of the storm, as we read the story, Jesus was in the boat with the disciples. And that's right there. Good news. You are not alone in that storm. You will never be alone in that storm. Our good God is right there with you. But there is a problem. A lot of people think, okay, I gave my life to Christ and everything now should be smooth sailing for the rest of my life. So I can jump from cloud to cloud through the rainbows of life, eating donuts and bacon and all the good stuff. And nothing bad ever had to happen to me because I'm a Christian. Right? 
How many of you know that that's not true? <laughs> Following Jesus is very challenging. Life is going to hit you. Listen, Christianity never promised that you will have a storm-free life. What it promises is that God will be with you in every storm, ready to help you, ready to show His power and His grace in your life and in the life of others. That's what Christianity promises. And that's what we need to understand. God is for you and God is with you. Listen, if you like to write notes, write this one or type this one or do whatever you want with this one. The storm may rock you, but will never sink you. It will never sink you. It may be scary, absolutely. But that is not going to kill you. Because Jesus is in the boat with you. And your life is in the palm of his hand. Can you say amen to that? Amen. Now, now and then, every now and then, some of you, you're going to be in the middle of a storm. And it's going to get really scary. Water is going in. Turbulence. Is like, it's pretty scary. You're going to feel stuff. You're going to be afraid. And people are going to look around, I mean, look to you and you say, how are you getting through that? How in the world you can go through so much hurt and pain and, and, and fear and difficulty? I mean, your world is falling apart and here you're not falling apart. How can it be that you're in the middle of the storm, you're having this sense of peace, and that's where you're going to be able to testify about what God is doing in your life. And you say, you see, Jesus is with me. Jesus is with me. He is in my life, in my boat with me, and he lives in my heart. And because he is with me, he gives me this peace to face the storm, the strength to endure that storm, and the power to rise above the storm because I am not alone. He is in the boat with me. And what is important to write down and engrave in our hearts is this. Never let the presence of a storm cause you to doubt the presence of God. That's important. Why is that important? Because the first thing that we forget when life hits with storms is that He abandoned us. That He doesn't care about us then for some reason we're going through that storm, that difficulty is because God, if He exists, He doesn't care about me or He doesn't do a good job as God. And that's the reason why so many people then probably at one point had some kind of faith in God walk away from the Lord because they did not understand that God was with them. The second thing that we need to remember, and this is very important. First, then God is with us, right? His presence. The second one is His purpose. You are in the storm for His purposes. And His plan for your life is good. It's really good. Think about this. Watch this. Jesus said to the disciples, right? We read this. Let's cross to the other side, knowing perfectly that a storm was going to hit him. He was both, remember, full man and full God. He knows what is going to happen. It's almost like this. If we could read his mind, he'd probably, hey, guys, let's go to a storm. No, he didn't say that, right? <laughs> let's go through the other side, right? If he would say, hey, you guys want to go in a storm? That would probably work, Right? He said, guys, let's go to the other side. And he's thinking, we're going to go to the other side. But in the middle of it, there's going to be this storm. And they're going to be freaking out. And I'm going to be slipping in the back of the boat. They're going to be like, ah. And I'm going to be like, oh, it's going to be awesome. Right? That's pretty much what's going on here. And why is this so important? Because, you see, this is, please, please engrave this next part really big in your heart. Some people think that if you are in a storm, it's because you are out of God's will. And now God wants to punish you for whatever thing that you have done. And here we go. 
He's going to slap you with a storm. Now, I am aware that sometimes we bring storms into our life because of our own poor choices and disobedience. I am aware of that. And I can, I mean in some of those, okay? But in this passage, Jesus takes his best friends to the best next thing, knowing that they will have to go through a storm in order to get there. So listen, they were in the storm because they were in God's will. They were according to the purposes of God. Oh, so what do we do with that? Because there's a big philosophical question here. Oh, if God is so good, then why do we have to suffer? Well, let me tell you one thing. God never wastes the storm. He always, watch this, he always uses a storm not to scare us, not to sink us, not to punish us, but to shape us according to his good purpose. Oh, friends, God matures us in so many different ways. But the greatest growth comes when we go through certain storms. Would you agree with me? In fact, some of you, I would say the difference between where you are right now and where God wants you ultimately to be is going to be the storm that you might have to endure now or in the future. Can you say amen to that? (laughs) So, my friends, this is my advice to you. Don't waste a good storm. God never wastes the storm. Don't waste the storm with complaining. Don't waste the storm that you're going through with the wrong response or the wrong reaction. Don't waste that storm. Now, I don't know if, if some of you know somebody, then, um, then somehow their faith is really strong. I had the privilege to know some people like that. And usually when you get to know these people, you ask, how can your faith can be so strong? They tell you the stories of the storms that they went through. And then it's like, what? And, and then you go, oh, and, and they will tell you, listen, you know, you know, they know God is always doing something great in us in the middle of the storm and teaching us something about him that we could never learn in any other way. He has to go through the storm. They learn that there is a godly purpose in every single difficulty and storm. In the storm is when they got to know God's faithfulness. It was in the storm where they got to see God's grace. It was in that storm where they saw the miracle of God providing for their lives. Sometimes, my dear friends, a storm is the only place where we get to know God in a deeper level, where we become better people, where gratitude and humility that we don't have normally starts to develop, and when our faith in God gets stronger and stronger and stronger. It happens in the storm. Don't waste that storm. See, that's why we find the book of James. James was the brother of Jesus. He grew up with Jesus. He knew Jesus very well. James chapter 1 says this. And we're going to read this verse all together. Is that okay? James chapter 1 verses 2 and 4. It's going to be here. Ready? Go. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. So let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. How many of you would love to have a life where you don't lack anything? Everything is... Okay, how that happens? Before that, there has to be a process where you become mature and complete. How you can mature and complete? Well, you have to have some perseverance. How do you develop some perseverance? With some patience during a test, during a storm. That's how you get mature. That's how you grow. That's how your faith gets strong and strong and you don't lack anything. It's through those tests. Now, I'll be honest with you. Can I be honest with you? Do I have your permission, Pastor Barry? I heard that this church likes honesty. Right? So I'm about to be as honest as I can. Several years ago, when my son was diagnosed with autism, and we're going through this huge storm. 
Somebody brought this verse in front of me. And I read it. And I read it, and I'll be honest with you. I read this, and I said, what? At that point, I thought it was just garbage. What God was asking here was not only impossible. It was unrealistic for someone like me to get to this point. I couldn't get it. I was so mad. In fact, I'll tell you how we found out. We, we didn't actually, we didn't find out by the doctors. We found out actually through a teacher. Because the doctors, for some reason in, in Hawaii, and I don't know if it was a Hawaii thing or it was just how God wanted to plan it that way, they couldn't be straight honest with us. They told us, well, David has certain things and difficulties, but they never called it as it was. It was the teacher that for the first time used the word autism as a diagnosis for her son. My wife was in the meeting, and she called me, and I came. We talked about it, and we were in the school, and said, okay, meet me at home. She drives home. I'm driving the church van, and um, so she goes, takes off. She's crying. Meet me at home. I'm going right after her. I pull out of the parking lot, and I couldn't drive one block. I had to pull over because I was sobbing. And I was not sobbing just with sadness. It was more than sadness. I was angry. And yes, I tell you, I was angry at God. And as I pull over, like, yes, not coming out, all that stuff, with my hand in the air, said, why? Why would you do this to us? We have obeyed you in everything you ask from us. We have done a lot of crazy stuff and sacrifices for you to pay us this way. Why, David, what he has done to you? And I let it go. Now, before you start throwing rocks at me, like, oh, why did Pastor Barry bring this guy? This is weird. I can't believe this. Let me tell you a couple of things. First of all, in that moment when I was letting it go, I didn't feel like God was like, oh, no, Fernando is mad at me. Oh. <laughs> Not at all. I think what God was doing was like, let it go, son. And this is how I feel the Lord spoke to me that day. Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? And honestly, I was exposed. I was terrified of what the future could be for my son, for my family. And my faith was exposed. And then I found a lot of comfort knowing that I was not the only one in the history of the world that dared to go there. <laughs> you know that there's a book in the Bible called Lamentations? And he's a man of God, pretty much raising his hand to the sky and saying, God, why? Why your people have to suffer this way? Then I found out then this dude in the Bible called the King David, then he's supposed to be a big shot. The Bible says about him that he's a man after God's own heart. He wrote about this. He's part of the Bible. He's, he's kind of like angst on God. He writes, God, what, are you crazy? It seems like you're sleeping in the back of a boat. Don't you care that your people are suffering? He wrote about it. And then, think about this. Jesus himself, a member of the Trinity, that's a big deal, is at the cross facing the sin of humanity, your sin and my sin, the ones that we committed, the, God, the sins committed against us, all of them. And he is declaring why you are forsaking me, Father. So I wasn't the first one to dare to go there. But it was my moment of honesty where I recognized that 
I was afraid, like Jesus knows that we're all afraid. There's no point in faking it. And then my faith was not as strong as I thought it, could, it should be. And instead of being castigated or ashamed of it, I was embraced with his love and grace. And in that van, with snot coming down my nostrils and, and, and the pain that I was getting there, I remember God saying really deep in my heart, I will be with that boy for the rest of his days. I will never leave him nor forsake him. And I will use this storm to build great things in you and in your family. And that's how we've been dealing with that storm through the years. Don't waste the storm, my dear friend. Don't run away from the storm. Ride it. Ride it. Because when God is done doing his work in you, transforming and shaping you, whatever, he's using that storm. It's going to come the point when he says, okay, storm, be quiet, be calm, and the miracle is going to come. Amen. See, many people said, you know, at, at first when we found out, my wife, is, she loves information. She, she just started right there at... 14 years ago, there's not as much information as we have today and more accurate. Back then, it was a little different than what it is today, but we dive into it. One of the things that we found out is, you know, it's been like that for several years, but the divorce rate in the church has been 50%. Half of our marriages don't make it, which is pretty much the same in the world out there, which is kind of sad. <laughs> but 50% of marriages go into divorce. In families with children with disabilities, goes up to 85% divorce rate. We just celebrated our 20 years of honeymoon. And this storm that was supposed to destroy our marriage is actually making us much better partners, not only in ministry, or as, uh, 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 but uh, as, as a couple, we've seen this storm doing so many great things in our life. Another thing that we found out about autism, we discovered in part of the statistics, which is actually very accurate, that most siblings in a family with a child with a with a child in disability will go through a very very rough uh, life. They will feel a lot of depression, mostly caused because the attention of the parents is usually just drawn to the to the child with disability, and they feel left out. They feel that they don't have uh, the attention and the love of their parents. And they feel very embarrassed to even share when they feel kind of rejected or not really um, paid attention upon. So we prayed about that. And for Daniel, as the oldest uh, son, we were worried about that. And we prayed about it. And then he, when he was a little kid, we started to see things like, what in the world? It's like he never knew. He doesn't understand. But even when they were wrestling, when they were kids, like five and four, I could see Daniel already understanding. And they were wrestling. And, and he would, even though his brother could not do this, and there was no way. It's almost like Daniel said, okay, you can pit me down because I, I, I feel like you, you need to feel like you can win sometimes. And not because I'm letting you. It's because I think this is good for you. I can be your brother in this. And we saw that pattern as he grew older, protecting him, guarding him. So two couple of years ago, I was, I was having dinner, and, and Daniel stayed with me, and, and, and Karen, and the, everybody was, like, doing other stuff. And he said, hey, Dad, can I talk to you? I said, sure. You know, I, I just been thinking about this, and I'd never prompt this in, in, in him. I said, Dad, I, I was thinking about this, and you know what? I know one day I'm going to. I'm going to get married. I would love to get married with somebody that understand our family because I know when you're gone, somebody needs to take care of David. I will take care of David. I will make sure that he's fine. You guys can rest assured of that. I didn't instill that in him. And I've seen Daniel, you know, just because he's here, we, he has heard this message a couple of times, okay? This is, he's like always almost embarrassed and we're talking about him this way. But I am so proud of him. How he got that, it was through a storm called autism. And I will be honest with you, I don't like it. I don't love it. But I'm going to ride that storm. And I'm going to squeeze the life of that storm. I am not going to waste that storm. I want to use that storm. 
and in our ministry as pastors, God gave us so much empathy, sympathy, compassion for people going through heartaches because of our own storm. I would admit, I was in many ways prideful in, in, in all things, and now that this situation has humbled me, I'm able to help people that are in that situation or worse and give them a word of hope moving forward because that storm is not going to sink us. It's going to shape us in the name of Jesus, and it's going to make us a much better person. So when Jesus tells you, let's go to the other side, expect storms may come. But those storms are not going to kill you. They're not going to sink you. They're going to take you to the other side. Now, let me close with this. A thought, and we're going to have communion today. I ask you to remember those things. What is cool about communion, when you think about it, and Pastor Barry's going to come in, in five, ten minutes. He's going to come and lead us in communion. It was something that Jesus wanted us to do often. I guess you guys do it once a month. That's what we used to do in our church. We need to do this often. Why? Remember what communion says. Do this in what? In remembrance. Why would Jesus want us to do something to remember then his body was given and then his blood was given? Because it's very easy to forget it. And why causes us to forget the Lord's sacrifice? Storms. The crap of life. So when we come to communion, we come to remember Wait a minute. The one that we follow is not just a good teacher. It's something else. Do you miss that part at the end of the story after Jesus comes? I mean, it's pretty amazing. Jesus gets up. He says, silence, be calm. And everything, completely calmed. The disciples were like, yeah. No, they weren't. How they were? Terrified. They were terrified before because they're going to die. Now they're terrified after the miracle. Why they were terrified? Because they said, who is this? And what happened through the storm is then they realized that they were not just with, oh, Jesus, he's so good and so loving and what a great teacher and I love his love and compassion. Oh, he heals the sick and he does all these wonderful things. No, at that moment they realize who is this? The wind and the waters obey him. Wait a minute. He he is more than what we thought he was. He controls the power of the universe. He is the true master of the universe. He is the king of kings and Lord of lords. And we are in the presence of God Almighty. And they were terrified because they got to know Jesus in his majesty and glory through that storm. And my friends, it could be. The storm that you're going through or you will go through or your friends are going through or your loved ones are going through is the storm where God is going to reveal himself and they're going to realize I'm in the presence of the Lord Almighty, the master of the universe, the one that can control anything, the creator. That's why they were terrified. What we could say is the fear of the Lord is them filling them up. And from that day, they were not the same. Let me ask you this. How do you pretend to worship the healer if you have never been sick and healed by the healer? How would you ever need God the provider if you are never in need? Some of you in the middle of your storm you're going to get to know Jesus, the amazing God that we serve, the amazing God that we follow. Because we're not following a philosophy. We're not following a set of values. We're not following a set of principles that make our societies better. We are following the creator and the, watch this, not just the creator of the universe, but the scripture says Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. So as he exposes our fears, he can say, you don't need to be afraid anymore. I'm with you. And second, yeah, you don't have that big of a faith. 
but I'm the author and the perfecter of your faith. And if you, if you partner with me, Jesus says, I will build your faith more and more. I will make it stronger. I, you will be a rock solid when it comes to the challenges of life. And you will be a light in the midst of darkness. How many people do you think that are out there in this community that are so lost, that need hope? And you could be the hope for them because you understand why challenges, difficulties, storms in life come. You can give them hope. You can show them the way. And that's how I'm praying for people here at Thrive Church. Then you will be a church that thrives with the glory and the grace of Jesus, our Savior. Follow Jesus. Go to the other side. Expect the storms. They're not going to sink you. They're going to shape you. So don't waste them. Write about them. And let the Lord remove all your fears and build your faith. Just remember that. Now as we come before the Lord, why don't you just bow your heads? I'm going to ask Pastor Barry to come and he's going to lead us in communion. Before I sit down, and he's going to pray for you. I want to pray specifically for any storms that you have. And then we're going to move into a time of communion. Amen. Bow your heads. Lord Jesus, I want to thank you for these precious people here at Thrive. Lord, for the people that uh, we know that are not here, that are going through a very difficult time. Lord Jesus, today we choose, Lord to receive this word, to treasure it in our hearts. For those of us in this room that are going through a storm, Lord Jesus, I pray. Then we will not be embarrassed and we will not be ashamed of our fears and our lack of faith. As we are exposed, Lord, we are exposed in an environment of grace. You're not judgmental, even though you could, but you're so grace-giving. And Lord, I submit my personal fears and my lack of faith before you. And I pray that everybody here praying with me will do the same. So we give you all our fears. We give you our lack of faith. We recognize that it's not as strong as it should be. But we ask you, Lord, that you will help us in this storm. That we will never forget that you are with us and for us. Things don't happen to us. Things happen for us. And Lord, we choose to give you all those fears, remove them, give us a peace that surpasses all human understanding. Instead of fear, give us peace. And Father, when our faith is small, Father, we pray that you as the perfecter of our faith, you will build our faith, you will encourage, you give us the strength, Lord Jesus, to go through what we're going through, not because we're victims of it, it's because we will be victors through it. So, Father, we just pray that blessing. We pray a blessing over this church, over the people, Lord God, then our loved ones that are not here, but they need to remember those things. Use us, God, to carry this message of hope to them. And, Lord, when we go into future storms, then we will remember that you are always with us and that your plans for us through that storm are perfect and wonderful and full of hope for the future, Lord. We pray that for ourselves, for the person on our left and our right, in front of us and behind us. And we pray that covering over our church. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people say, Amen. Amen.